Hello, friends. Welcome again to another episode of the Pilot Podcast. I'm Jared Cornut, joined again by Alan Murray, who is wearing flannel in his car in North Carolina. Are you going to fish? Are you going to hunt? Are you going to do ministry? Because that's you can do any of those three in flannel, right? You can do anything in flannel. It's just nice to have flannel weather. It's been so warm here. It's a rainy day. It's a good day for a Scotsman in eastern North Carolina today. And since I'm sitting in the car and it's raining outside, I thought it'd be best to stay warm. I'm, rock- I'm rocking my Nam rain jacket today, as you can see, because uh, it's a rainy day here in Birmingham as well. And uh, we're honored to have George Schroeder with us today as a guest on the podcast. George, uh, you're out in Ca- uh, Colorado. How are you doing today? Man, I'm good. I'm in Fleece, which is the first time I've really done that so far. Uh, but it's my understanding that fall is very short in Colorado. I'm, an, I'm a newcomer. Um, and it's like if we just finished fall and we're heading into winter, I, I, I'm sort of praying that's not the case. You might need to go to Kohl's or TJ Maxx and start getting ready for... Uh, uh, you didn't need those clothes in Texas where you were previously, uh, but you're, you're going to need them uh, in Colorado for sure. Well, it's uh, 11 where you're at, Alan, 10 where I'm at, 9 where George's at. So we're stretched across three time zones, and we're excited to bring you another episode of the podcast. If you don't know who George is, uh, George for years and years wrote for USA Today, covered college football, uh, and then felt a call to the ministry. And he spent some time with the EC in Nashville, uh, spent some time with Baptist Press, I believe, uh, spent some time at Southwestern Seminary. And George, tell us what you're doing now in Colorado. Kind of what is your role? What church are you at? And how's that been in a transition for you? Yeah, well, as of um, August 1st, and there's a long story involved in all those steps you talked about. But as of August 1st, uh, I'm serving as Minister of Groups and Care at a church called Storyline Church in Arvada, Colorado. It's a not quite nine-year-old NAM church plant. And... um, it's uh, God's really blessing the church, and uh, with you know we've we've had a, a lot of people get saved this year, and of Praise course God. that's that's all the Lord, and and whatever extent anyone who's serving at, at Storyline has had, whatever sort of impact they've had, that's not me either because I just showed up August first, but we're enjoying it. Uh, the transition has been great, and I think I've described it to a couple of people as. Um, there are times when I'm overwhelmed, but but my wife Shannon and my youngest Christopher and I are overjoyed to be here. So it's it's been great. Well, let's go back to kind of the beginning of your journey. Um, did you, when you were in college or high school, preparing for you know you got to make the decision? What am I going to do for the rest of my life? And I didn't know it was going to be ministry for me when I went off to college. I'm assuming now you've made the decision to transition to ministry later in life than a lot of people. Did you? always know you wanted to do something with sports and, and writing or journalism. Uh, what was that decision like for you uh, to start off down that path? Yeah, well, I always loved sports, right? I grew up, I grew up in, uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas, which makes you a Razorback fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arkansas football, that's sort of the, the torch I would have had to bear, right? Um, so <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of lean years for Arkansas fans. Um, sorry, friends and family, if you're listening I'm, to this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be at the game this Saturday. We yeah. play them at 11 a.m. To, they two and four, I think, and headed to two and five, and uh, now questioning yet another coach. That's how it is. But I grew up an Arkansas fan, um, and I didn't really think I was going to go into sort of sports jur- journalism. My dad's an ophthalmologist, recently retired ophthalmologist, um, and so I thought I would go into medicine and probably ophthalmology. Uh, and that plan was great until uh, about the third semester of college. I came home. That would have been you know December break, and Dad sat me down and said, "You know." As, as we see your grades, you do understand you're not going to med school, right? 
which is not, not what you want to hear. Uh, but it was something I already knew. Um, he said, so what do you want to do? And I had no idea. And I was not following Christ at the time. Uh, um, I'd been baptized. I'd been a, um, a good youth kid. But when I got off to college, sort of began doing all the things you can do with uh, extra freedom and get away with it um, and hide it. Um, and so I didn't have, there was no sort of wonder what the Lord might want me to do going on in my head or heart. But there was an opening at the school paper uh, at Southwest Baptist University for a, for a sports writer. You understand SBU doesn't have, or didn't at the time have a journalism department. They just had a weekly paper. Um, so I said, what about that? And he said, well, I don't think he thought there was much future in that. And he thought, well, you know, go ahead. So, so I did that for this, this semester. I was probably the only person who applied and, and got that, got that job, knew nothing about it other than maybe having some writing skill, perhaps from just reading a lot and writing in high school and things like that, but really raw. And then that summer, after that semester, that summer, I got an internship at my local paper, the Arkansas Democrat at the time. Now the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, it's a statewide daily. And the reason I got it was because of all the wonderful things I had done in that one semester, or else because the sports editor was our backyard neighbor, one or the other. I'm not really sure which. Knowing the right people helps. Yeah. And that's how I, um, you know, it, it, that, that's how I fell into sports journalism, really. Um, it, it went from there. And, and I didn't, you know, looking back, it's, it's clear that, that God was in control and ordering my steps. But I'm just saying there was no grand plan for me to become a sports journalist. But once I got into it and people started really investing me inside that newspaper and really helping me get better at it, I really loved it and enjoyed it. And it was a lot of fun. And so um, it became really rewarding. And um, and it was like, OK, um, clearly not going to med school. I don't know what else I could or would do, but this is a lot of fun. Let's go for it. And just the career just sort of happened from there. Spent a lot of years at USA Today, primarily covering college football. What was that experience like? Um, seeing a lot of cool places, getting to write about what a lot of people just – I mean, people like me, I absorb that kind of stuff all the time because I love college football and I, I respect a lot of journalists and what they have to say. What was it like being on the other side of that? Not really in fandom, uh, but that's your occupation and your job. Yeah, well, first, it was a lot of fun. It was challenging, uh, but very rewarding. Um, it's kind of, it's, you know, a lot of people go, oh, what a great, cool job you have. And and I think that's true. I think that's true because I did, you know, all those bucket list sort of games and venues and places like that, um, that, that everybody has. Um, I got to do most of those probably on an annual basis, right? Travel to the, to the big game each week and that kind of thing. Um, got to know some people and everything else. Um, the one thing that I kept, you know, trying to let people know is, yeah, it's a cool job, but that's because I get to stand next to occasionally the cool people. It's not me. I'm not running or throwing a football or doing X's and O's or anything like that. And I, and the key is to understand that for me to understand that, but man, it was a great job. Um, I, I, I loved every minute of it. And I, and I not only worked for the, for USA Today, but before that, I worked for the Little Rock newspaper. And then I covered Oklahoma football for the Oklahoma city paper. And went out to Eugene, Oregon, and was a sports columnist at, at the paper there. And so I got to experience a lot of the different parts of the country before I ever ended up at USA Today. And um, it was just, uh, you know, looking back, it was, uh, I'm so grateful for the opportunities that I had because I do love college football. And and that was sort of the way my, my uh, career sort of funneled into covering college football more than anything else. And 
Um, so I'm a lot like a lot of your listeners, right? Not everybody that listens to to the pod is a college football fan, but so many of us are. And um, I just got the opportunity to sort of get there, uh, get there a different direct, get there a different way, and going to see all these things. Now, the one thing I would say is you, you, and I'm not sure this was actually in your question, but you do get to see a little bit how the sausage gets made, um, and that's a little bit different than um, you know. My favorite team is pure as the wind-driven snow, and all those other guys are bad guys. You know, that might be true, you know, but typically it's not. Um, it's so true of Alabama. You, We've never done anything wrong. Yeah. Uh, Philip Fulmer is the reason why anything bad has happened to us. Well, that's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, only everybody else listening to this podcast disagrees with you probably. But Yeah, I know. No, but I mean, it's just you, you do see how the sausage gets made. That said, I, I came to appreciate people. In a different way, I came to appreciate, and I mean the people who are playing the sport, who are coaching the sport. Um, you see a lot of human nature um, up close and personal. Some of which is not not pretty, um, most of which is not pretty. Um, and you and you really actually, I'm not trying to turn this in this direction. We can go there, but you see a lot of brokenness. And um, so, as God really worked to transform me, I think I began to see that career a little bit differently. Well, you've shared with us uh, quite a bit about your career in journalism. Uh, and, of course, Jared referenced earlier, now you're in ministry, you're serving in Colorado, have served SBC in several different ways with the EC and BP and SWBTS and all the other uh, alliterations and uh, acronyms and things we love as Baptist. Um, share with us a little bit about your transition into ministry and how uh, your background in journalism has helped you and been a major part of your ministry moving forward. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's a uh, it's a great question. First, I uh, I guess I should go back. So in my early twenties, in that first job uh, at the Arkansas Democrat, which quickly became the Arkansas Democrat Gazette as papers consolidated and things like that, <clears throat> my uh, um, I was not following Christ, and I, I I realized that because of the the upbringing my parents had given me we were in church every time the doors were open they're committed christ followers and and so i'm grateful for that so i knew the truth um but um so in the first couple of years i was at, at uh, working you know professionally uh, a friend of mine who'd been a college roommate and we had shared all sorts of crazy things together um many of them bad moved to town and took a job at, at a christian high school coaching high school football and so we became roommates again, and he was different than he had been. And so, so it, here the Holy Spirit is with a roommate convicting me. And at the same time, my boss, the sports editor, the Lord began working in his heart, and he began changing. And so at work and at home, I was watching these men either changed or changing, and God was working and God really began saying, look at you, look at you. And so the Holy Spirit convicted me and, and saved me in my early 20s. And so I say that to say that from that point, it's not like it was a, a straight upward spiritual trajectory. It was, it was uneven. And there were times when, when the career was a much bigger deal um, to me than Christ. And, but gradually, he really got a hold of my heart. And it started in, in, probably in a couple of ways. First, our youngest was born with heart transplant uh, heart issues needed a heart transplant when he was a baby and then a kidney transplant when he was not quite two and god really transformed my heart through that that story's never been about me but as it relates to me 
and then secondly, um, as I'm following Christ and desiring to know him more and, and better and getting into the word and he's really changing my heart, started going on mission trips with our with our local church. And then the next thing you know, I was I was helping to lead mission trips and being and being a leader on the mission team for the church. And and I just felt like, you know what, you need to be better equipped for this. There's something going on. I don't know what it is, but you need to be better equipped. And so I asked a couple of pastors and started praying about it and started seminary. Still at USA Today. Um, didn't know what it was for. I had an inkling that it might be for a call to ministry, but I didn't know what it was for. But I thought you'll at least be better equipped to serve in the church. And um, and then I started praying a, a prayer that was really a two-part prayer. God, do you have something else you want me to do? And would it be ministry? And so I've, I've answered your question. I've gotten to the part where I'm supposed to answer your question. And I've taken way too long to do it. So I apologize. But started praying that prayer. And then, um, you know, it, it became gradually clearer and clearer that, yes, he did have something else for me. I didn't think I was discontent and that it was ministry. And in December of 2019, I uh, had already started talking with a guy named Jonathan Howe about a job opening at the EC to be the associate vice president of convention for convention news. And I got an email to join uh, the sports editor at USA Today on a uh, on a I guess it was a Zoom. It might have been Microsoft Teams or something like that. But it's for any of us really did Zoom. And knowing the state of the industry, I knew what that meant. And that next day, they laid off 200 people, including me. So I called Jonathan back, or and I said, "Hey, just want to let you know. I know we're a couple of interviews deep into this. Um, let me t let me give up all my leverage and tell you what's going on." And he said, "Oh man." I'm so sorry. We may be heading down the road with somebody else. So I just started saying, Lord, I thought this was the pivot point. Um, maybe it's not. Let me keep working on uh, jobs in in the business I've been in and every other business. And about five days later, Jonathan called back and said, hey, would you still like to talk with us? We'd really like to talk with you. And so a couple weeks after that, I plunged headlong into SBC world, which was different. Uh, I've been a committed SBC layman. But it was like, Lord, you are moving me into ministry. And he clearly was. Anyway, long story short, that gradually became um, the impetus where it became more and more clarifying to me that God was calling me into the local church. There was a, I ended up at Southwestern. Um, that was a great time in that I accelerated my studies. And just more and more, it was clear he was calling me into the pastorate and, and that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to share him with others and help them help them grow in him so they could share him with others. Um, so I think I probably gave you way too much background and way too little about the actual calling into ministry, but it really became clear that that my uh, what I relished uh, it's not that I didn't like what I did in college football because I still love college football, but that what I relished was being able to 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 tell people about Christ, and you can do that in that job, and and I did, but. But it was clear he was calling me to something else. So you alluded to earlier, like <clears throat> you saw how the sausage was made and that kind of changes your perspective. You see a lot of brokenness. Well, now you're on a church staff and you see how the sausage is made, not as a layman that you see behind the scenes. And you see a lot of brokenness there, too. So what is it? I guess what has God been teaching you? in these new roles, especially as a, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, were you an elder at your church in Texas? I was. It's a yeah. it's a two-year-old church yeah. plant. 
So you've been uh, in, in ministry for, for a few years now on that side of it, uh, seeing the sausage, seeing the brokenness. Um, what is that like? And how do you how do you really feel like everything up to this point has prepared you to help those people in, in those crises? You're doing member care. I mean, I know you're dealing with a lot of that stuff. Well, first, um, I, I I need to and continually pray to pray and work to be better equipped. First, let me just start with that. Right. So I understood that um, being full time uh, in vocational ministry would be different, and it is. Uh, and um, and so I walked in here with a with I pray a a desire to just learn. But I also think this. I also think that God, um, you can be uh, experienced and not wise, right? A lot of us have lots of experience and it doesn't make us wise. There's lots of, uh, 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 folk like that. And, and so I pray that's not where I am. I think that's partly where I am, but I think having been in secular world for so long and, and, and for the last, you know, half of that time, uh, trying to follow Christ and grow in Christ, I hope it helps me resonate with and understand sometimes the where guys are coming from who are just, you know, church members who are hurting church members who are, um, uh, you know, whether they're church members or not, whether they're followers of Christ or not, they're out in the secular world. Right. Um, I don't know that. I don't think I answered that question very well. Um, but I, I think the life experience God's given me both just sort of working in the secular professional you know, world and then also the life experience that God's given us with our youngest, Christopher, I alluded to earlier, um, gives me um, it gives me some sort of foundation uh, to sort of empathize. That you know, look, th- this is about sort of pointing people to Jesus, right, all the time, and that's what I want to do. But it helps to understand where people are coming from. And so sometimes I think maybe I almost do understand where they're coming from because of what God's had me do previously in life. That's thanks for sharing that George. And really thank you for giving a lot of your background. And now, you know, you're working at a church, but you've also started the podcast with Brad Edwards. And if you know college football, at least when I was in college at Alabama, 2009, 2013, and every Sunday night, I'm turning on ESPN to see where Brad Edwards has us in the the BC because he kind of understood the BCS better than anybody else. Um, he's now been a grad too, I believe. Um, but you guys are doing this podcast together, Gridiron of the Gospel. You've had some great guests, David Pollock, uh, Bear from uh, Need to Breathe, one of my favorite bands. Uh, not so great guests like Dean and Sarah, but yeah, I guess they can give some some perspective. How did this podcast come about? And uh, tell us. I've listened to it. I think it's great, but maybe some of our listeners haven't listened to it. Uh, why should they check it out? Oh, I mean, because it's the best podcast in the history of the world. Uh, no, listen, I well, I don't know why they should check it out. Listen, I, I guess I would say is, look, our hope is that um, you come for college football conversation and you and you get um, you you get to hear about. Yes, we love college football, Brad and I, and and I could tell you how it started, but. Um, but more than that, we really love Jesus. And my hope is that that's what shines through. Uh, and, and so my hope is that there are folks out there. I, look, I love it when people who are like-minded with us, who, who love college football and love, and love Christ want to listen to that because they get their college football fixed and maybe hopefully they get encouraged when we're talking about faith. Um, but my hope is that, that we're going to find some people who 
who perhaps remember Brad and, and, and fewer perhaps remember me from our, from our times covering college football on the national level and think, I'll listen to the, what these guys have to say about what happened in week six or week seven or whatever, or what they think is going to happen with realignment and those kinds of things. Because I think, you know, that stuff, that t- those topics are fascinating for a lot of people, including me. And we have some institutional knowledge. I hope that there are folks who are going to listen to that and then stick around for our format is first half football, second half faith. Stick around for the second half. Maybe if only because we're going to pick games at the end of the second half. And in the second half, we talk faith and they hear about Jesus and they hear our hearts, not only for Christ, but for them to know him. And that's my hope. Um, I think, you know, I don't know how uh, that I, I think probably each week's a little bit different. It's always going to be a little bit different and very, very similar to this podcast. Right. It depends on the guest you have and what the what the topics of the of the week are and that kind of thing. But. But my hope is those are the two themes and that the bigger and most important theme is uh, hear us. We love Jesus and, and we want you to know him, too. I think that's awesome. And, you know, I didn't know Brad Edwards other than he was the BCS guy. I didn't know he was a believer or any of those things. So yeah. it's been an encouragement, encouragement to me listening to the podcast. Of course, when you have a guy like David Pollock on, who is a outspoken believer. I mean, he's not scared to share with anybody. and he's kind of, I guess, wrestling through what he's doing next. Or Bear, you know, Need to Breathe is, they're not a Christian band, but they there's a lot of Christian undertones in their music, and they are Christian. So I think that I think that is fascinating. And when you talk about Southern Baptist, you know, a lot of Southern Baptists, you're not in the South, but a lot of Southern Baptists are. And most people in the South, you know, my I wife. I am in the epicenter of college football, if you just ask that's the That's true. Here, you got Dion yeah. right down the road. Yeah. You know, my wife, she moved here from Tennessee in fifth grade, and the first day of school with Thompson Middle School, they're, all right, Alabama or Auburn, which one? She's like, what do you mean my dad went to Tennessee? They're like, we don't care. You got to pick one. You know, Alabama <laughs> or Auburn. That's just the way it is uh, here in the South. Uh, in that, Did she so choose I wisely, Jared? Did you choose so wisely? She, she went to Auburn her first semester, uh, so she <laughs> chose poorly, but then she transferred to Alabama, which is where we met. And uh, she chose why. So here, this is my wife. 2010, she's a freshman at Auburn. Auburn wins the national championship. 2011, she's at Alabama. We win the national championship. 2012, we win it. And 2013, we won't talk about that season uh, because that was. She right. transferred back to Auburn that year. <laughs> it seemed like she no, did. That would be that. That would be the parallel, right? But actually, Allen, that was the year your team won the national championship, Allen, with uh, Florida State. So weird how that happens. Hey, let me ask you this, George. Um, and then, Allen, I'll, I'll let you hop in here with a question. I know I've been kind of hogging. Um, I know that you, you grew up in Arkansas. You know, you said you lived in Oregon for a little while, Oklahoma, but you've lived predominantly, I would say, in areas with a strong cultural, at least, Christianity. Yeah. You're living in a place now. I've never been to Denver area. I don't know what it's like, but I would assume it's not that way. You haven't been there long. Uh, but talk about that experience. H- how is that living in a place where church is not as important to people? Yeah, and, and so I think there's sort of micro cultures, right? So we're in Arvada, which is on the west side of Denver. It's a suburb. Um, and if you go further east towards Denver, um, it is most definitely, uh, you know, we always sort of look at things through the red and the blue of political um, probably lens. But, you know, if you look at it that way and you're thinking of sort of progressive culture, um, Denver is most definitely a deep purple, probably, maybe, maybe blue. Uh, but when we lived in Eugene, Oregon, it was it was like indigo blue. 
right? And there was n- very, very, very little Christian culture. I'm not even sure it was post-Christian. It was probably pre-Christian. And so this feels a little bit more to me. And again, I'm only three months in. But but this area, Denver, feels a little bit more to me like halfway between Texas, Fort Worth, Texas, and and Eugene, Oregon, in terms of sort of the culture. But it is most definitely not part of the Bible Belt, right? And so one of there's there's really good things about that and really bad things about that. First of all, um, I probably should have flipped that around. There's a lot of really tough things. It's hard ground. But one thing you don't typically have to do is listen as people nod along and understand the foundational terms you might be you might be tossing out there and and say, oh yeah, I got saved when I was five, and have never you know been in a church since, and and then their lives don't reflect that. You don't typically see that. We see that some, but what you really see is a lot of, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? And so there's a lot of pre-gospel conversations and a whole lot of what I hope happens everywhere in any culture. Um, Let me show you with my life that I love you. Over the long haul, probably, it doesn't mean I'm not going to share Christ with you immediately and often, but you have, you're going to, they're going to, there's a whole lot of prove it to me. I need to see that your life is different. And, and I, you know, listen, I, I think that's true anywhere. But I'm just saying that's the prevailing culture here probably is. Guys are satisfied with, with a lot of times with uh, what they think they're pursuing. So they think the good life is in the Colorado outdoors probably, a lot of them. Um, they're pursuing all sorts of things, don't even know what they're looking for or who they're looking for. And um, if they think about Jesus at all, he's probably just another option. That's great for you. And so I just, um, yeah, it's, it's different. It's different than being in Fort Worth. It's different than spending a lot of years in central Oklahoma or growing up in Little Rock. Um, but I really, uh, I think there's tremendous opportunity. The ground is hard, but there's tremendous opportunity in that our friend Dean and Sarah has written a tremendous book that we're all familiar with about called The Unsaved Christian. You don't typically have to air quotes unsave somebody to show them who Jesus is here and 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 who they're missing they don't think they already have that fire insurance in a lot of cases so i actually i don't know maybe you ask me a year from now i'll go man this is really hard ground but i actually think the harvest is plentiful and um you just get, you get to sort of share um share christ from the very foundational pieces and just sort of build and build and build like who god is who you are you know and I love that. Yeah, Danny Aiken, uh, I remember one time in chapel when I was at Southeastern, he said, not all are called to be evangelists vocationally, but all are called to do the work of an evangelist. And um, I right. think you got a unique opportunity kind of where you're at, because like, cause I, I really feel like that at my church sometimes. Some of these people, I've got to get them unsaved uh, because it, they're just culturally Christian, which has – you know, some good things about that for where you live, but it has some very negative things about that, about the spiritual state that people are in. And it's hard. It's hard. And it, the same problems are right here in Alabama. People live for the great outdoors here and they live and die by their college football team and travel right. ball is everywhere. And there's all these different things. And so I think what you're probably experiencing is we're not all, we're not all that different. We all have the same problem uh, and we have idols in our heart that are greater than Christ. That's right. 
Well, so. and, and I'd say one other thing too. We talk about the Bible Belt like it's static. Uh, the Bible Belt now is not what the Bible Belt was 25, 35, 45 years ago. Absolutely not. The Bible Belt now is beginning to reflect the culture. These just come out here or to a, to a lot of urban cities, wherever you are, and it's just accelerated. But but I don't care where you are. You could be at County Seat Baptist Church in Alabama or Arkansas or North Carolina, and the culture is changing rapidly around you. And and 10 years from now, it's not going to look like it does now. And so um, the, that, that means we're going to be less comfortable, but it also means fewer and fewer people ha have that sort of the vestiges of cultural Christianity clinging mm, to them or yeah. they're clinging to that. Um, you're right. It so seems like I would at, say there's a, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, well, I was just going to say, it seems like where you're at, you, you go to somebody and they go, I don't really think about God. Why do I need that? And I go to people and they say, well, I believe in God. Why do I need church? You know, it's just, it's two sides That's of the right. same coin in, 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 in a way, I think. Go, go ahead. What you thought you were going to say. Well, I, I don't, you know, so I, what I don't see out here as much as the guys who, who, have been in church or the parents went to church and, and, the, and they, um, you know, went to youth group one night and made a decision for Christ that, that hasn't, you know, I'm not here to tell you whether they know Jesus or not, but their lives don't show fruit, right. For years and years and years. We don't see as many of those folk out here as you guys probably do in your context, or as, as I used to see in the other places I've lived. Um, you see some of those guys though, um, and the other thing you don't see out here is the the people who maybe grew up in church, went away from church for a while, and they come back to church because they got kids and they want to put kids in church. But you're not really sure where they stand with Jesus, whether they have relationship with him. We don't see those guys either very much. Um, you, you, let me put it this way. If you don't see and understand Jesus as worth giving everything you have to because he's given everything for you, then you get out here and there's a whole lot better things you can do with your Sundays yeah, and other times. And, you know, why would I sink into this sort of a church community? Um, I, so I don't, you know, whereas I th still think, um, you know, back in Oklahoma, back in Texas, you still see that as a, well, at a certain point we come back to the church and we, and, and our kids are now five and six. And so we want them to be in, Sunday school or whatever it is we, yeah. All the time. My friends I went to high school with who haven't been to church and in 15 years are now, well, I want my kids to be raised with a morality and an understanding that I was raised with. And that's interesting to me. We could spend the yeah. whole episode talking about that. I'm, I'm grateful for those folks. I'm grateful yeah, for them too. I'm because glad they they're there back. and they're going to hear the truth. Yeah. Especially when you, Jared, if you have a guest speaker, they're going to hear, hear the truth. That's a yeah. joke. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thanks, but, <George. laughs> um, they're going to hear the truth and it's going to, and, and it's like, Holy Spirit, work on them. You brought them here. Um, but the, you know, you know what I'm, you know where I'm going yeah, with this. We don't 100%. see that as much here. That's interesting. Well, hey, we don't want to take up too much of your time. I think we want to ask a couple college football questions uh, because Alan and I both love college football. Alan, I don't know if he quite endeavors into it to the links I do. I have season tickets to Bama. My, my, my wife Saturday, and so our washing machine's broken. And so I brought 
I closed up the church with a washing machine here. I washed them, grabbed her lunch, and it was like 2.15. She was like, you going to come sit down and eat with us? I said, mm, I'm going home to watch the game. I'm taking Andrew with me. She goes, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And so that's just the way kind of life is sometimes here. Uh, my oldest is all in. He's seven years old. He wakes up at seven and goes, when does game day come on? We're turning on game day. I don't even like watching yeah. game day, but he wants to watch it and all day. So I guess – uh, first question I'll ask now, I'll, I'll let you ask them about college football. Uh, who would you say are the most surprising teams that are doing well this year and most surprising that are not doing well this year? Oh, that's – yeah, so just start me right out of the box with the tough ones. <laughs> um, I, you know, um, I'm like everybody else. Let me just start where I am, right? I joked earlier about being in the epicenter of college football here in Dion for – I'm sorry, Denver. But um, the uh, it, it's a um, – I, I think we all were kind of fascinated by what was going to happen with Deion Sanders. Uh, and, and and I'm not one of those who's super happy about his approach sure. where he kind of ran a bunch of guys off and, and, and yeah. brought a bunch of guys in. That said, it's not that much different than a lot of coaches, back to the sausage getting made thing, yeah. have done quietly while they talk a, a good game. They're doing that under the table, um, running kids off and bringing kids in. And – you didn't have the advantage of immediate eligibility through the transfer portal and NIL money to sort of entice that. And so he's sort of the the first guy who's really gone um, full bore into it and doesn't care what anybody thinks about it at the same time. <clears throat> but I was I didn't know what to expect. And look, they it's not like TCU is as, nearly as good as TCU was last year. That's been borne out by the by the remainder of the season so far. We're halfway through. But when they beat TCU in Fort Worth, I think we all sort of sat up, took notice. And then they just, you know, they kept winning. And we knew that the Pac-12 was really tough at the top this year. Uh, and that potentially when they got to a run of Oregon and USC and some others, they were going to struggle. And and we've seen that. But I think Colorado has to still be the biggest uh, pleasant surprise on the field of, of any program. And I don't know why they're not going to – if he sticks around, and I think he will at least for next year, I don't know why they're not going to really succeed. I think he'll bring more kids in. Yep. They move into the Big 12, which, you know, other than Texas and Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Texas isn't any great shakes this year. And, of course, those two schools are moving out to the SEC. Yep. This time next year, why wouldn't why wouldn't Colorado be among the favorites to win the whole thing? Yeah. I mean the whole the whole Big Twelve. Excuse yeah, I me. Mean. I don't mean the I don't mean the national title. So they've they, been really they have a shot of the twelve team playoff though. They most definitely would. If yeah. well, let's put it this way: if you win the Big Twelve, you know you're going to probably be one of those top five yeah. automatic qualifiers, um, and so that puts you in there. <clears throat> so there that that's been the most interesting thing, and not just because they're you know twenty minutes up the road, but um, and most surprising. That's probably it. Yeah. Most disappointing, man. That's tough. You, you know, my I may stick out here, um, and maybe I'm just uh, foolish for thinking this, mm. but I keep thinking every year Lincoln Riley's going to find a defense. No, I think you're right on with this. Yeah. And he's about to waste. Caleb Williams. Yep. Maybe the best quarter, and no offense to Bryce Young or anything yep. else, but this guy here, the ta sheer talent he has is very Patrick Mahomes-like. Yep. Only he's further advanced than Patrick Mahomes was at, at, no offense, at Tech, and he obviously has a lot more around him than right. Pat Patrick Mahomes had when he was at Texas Tech. But, and I understand when you make a comparison to Patrick Mahomes, that, that may come back to bite you. So y'all can, you know, <laughs> record, you know, 
pin that and I'll be in trouble. But that's who he reminds me of that, that level of ability and knack for the game uh, put together. And Lincoln Riley's about to waste that because their defense is terrible. Yeah. I mean, the Colorado was a, a touchdown away from taking into overtime. I, I would, I would agree with Colorado most surprising up. I, I agree with USC, even though they haven't lost, I think they're going to lose two, two to three games. But I would also say LSU's incredibly disappointing this year. There's no question. For yeah. the same reason, yeah. although it's not a it's not a long time problem, but the fact that they're wasting I mean, we're not talking about Joe Burrow here, but Jalen yeah. Daniels is a very uh, good quarterback. Uh, yeah, a very good quarterback. Um I've lost my mind. That's the Kansas kid. Jaden um, Daniels is LSU. Jaden Daniels, thank Jaylen you. Jalen and Jaden. Um, <laughs> yeah. But he's he's tremendous and he's so much better than he was at Arizona State and so much better than he was last yep. year at LSU. He's really coming to his own. And they look offensively a lot like that 2019 LSU team. They're they're not that good, right. but that's what they look like. One difference is that 2019 LSU team had a credible defense. We expect that out of LSU. These guys ought to be contending in the West and contending for a playoff berth and instead um you know, they were lucky to escape uh, Missouri. Yeah. And no offense, no offense. Um, there's Mizzou fans, both of you. It's, 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 it's just, you're not in the same ballpark yeah, as I, LSU. And we all know that. So, and it's a tremendous thing Eli Drinkwitz is doing and, and, I, and I love it, but, um, yeah, I think LSU is a fair, a fair pick too, man. I could go with Texas A&M. Oh yeah. I could do that. I mean, that's, there's that's the so many things though. It is. <clears throat> and now, you know, now I think that we're now at the sort of the knife's edge of are they going to lose three or four games and are they going to get rid of Jimbo Fisher? And one of the questions you're supposed to ask before you do that is who are you going to get to replace yeah. him? But that doesn't always enter into the equation at some of these um, very rabid fan bases with a lot of money and a whole lot of expectations and some pent up. When are we going to do this? Um, just react. So. Yeah, and then all of this is taking place. You didn't ask this, but as we talk about Texas A&M, all of this is taking place with the backdrop of Texas coming into the SEC, which A&M oh, yeah. hates, and Texas, despite what happened last Saturday, being really good this year. Obviously, they lost to Oklahoma in, yeah. in Dallas. But they beat Alabama um, in Alabama's house, and then Alabama comes and beats you in your house. That doesn't right. sit well with A&M fans. So that's the, you got to understand, that's always the context when it comes to Texas or Texas A&M, especially Texas A&M is – when they're not doing well and Texas is, it's a bad deal. And you understand that from the Alabama Auburn oh, yeah. um, thing. Uh, we like to call it the Iron Bowl, right? It's a little <laughs> thing that some people pay attention to. Uh, some people but, watch it. Alan, so I don't know. I, you, you asked you asked you asked a short question, and 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 I'm sorry. No, it's just there's so many fascinating things about college football every yeah. year, and this is why our podcast, I think, has a chance to be interesting to people um, especially when brad brings some actual knowledge to the table and then i just sort of play off of it you pontificate yeah alan why don't you ask something well you're talking about people bringing knowledge to the table i feel like i have nothing to bring here um i'm a guy that enjoys college football you two are people that know uh college football i was talking with jared before here i haven't been able to watch anything this year because i've just got an antenna and so i'm stuck with whatever the local uh, stations are going to put on and of course i'm i'm not an sec country where they worship alabama like jared does uh, i'm an i'm an acc country uh and I, I have the terrible misfortune of my favorite radio station uh is also nc state wolfpack football station and so i just mm -hmm. have to all the time 
um, without listening. So I'm I'm just kind of sitting back and and watching uh, you guys talk, enjoying this. Uh, to to me, as somebody who just enjoys it but doesn't doesn't know it, doesn't live it, um, college football is not what. When, when I used to watch it a lot more, it's just a totally different game. Uh, you, you talked about it earlier, the, the transfer portal and the, the, these athletes being able to get money now. Um, to It makes things more exciting, but maybe less enjoyable for somebody like me with my perspective. And so I'm just going to. I'm just going to ask a, a question that, that probably isn't fair with a whole lot of season left uh, to go. But at the end of all of this, when we make our way down to the championship, what, what four teams do you think are going to rise to the top? Uh, who do you think we'll be seeing uh, playing off one another for the national championship? Uh, that's a good question. I, and let me just say this. I wish there was a 12-team playoff started this year rather than next year because for the last few years, we've had years where – two and maybe three teams could win it but maybe the fourth the the fourth seed in the playoff didn't even need to be there and we don't really need to talk too much about anybody else this is a year when and maybe this won't maybe this will change over the course of the the second half of the season we're halfway through but this is a year um when i think there's seven or eight schools that could win it and i'm not sure we know which eight those are yet um but you have asked the question. So, uh, look, I think we, I think the combination of we finally saw Georgia look like Georgia last week against Kentucky. Um, I think we're going to find Georgia in the playoff. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that that's who Georgia is this year, but they're just loaded with talent. Yep. And um, their road is not as difficult as it could be. And so I think that. And then I think Michigan's the class of the three teams in the Big Ten East. And I think there's a chance you could get two big two of those teams in, whether that's a common, whether that's Michigan and Penn State or Michigan and Ohio State. But I, I'll just start with Michigan. It, I'll start there. I think the winner of what I think will be an Oklahoma Texas rematch is going to make the playoff, not necessarily as the four, as the three seed, it might be the four seed. Uh, but what I saw of both those teams and what we've seen from everybody else so far says to me, I think this might be where they could actually do some damage. And then I, th- I maybe this is a pick with my heart, but one of the things I hate is that the Pac-12 is going away, and it has been irrelevant in the playoff chase yeah. for largely for both basically ten years. I know Washington went in 2016, wasn't good enough to play with Alabama, but you have to go back to Oregon in the first year of the playoff um, when it beat Florida State and then uh, couldn't hang with with Ohio State. This is the year when they've got two or three teams that you know. Maybe not USC because of the defense, but I think Oregon and Washington will know more about them. They play this week in Seattle. I think Oregon and Washington both look like potential playoff teams that could do some damage. The question is, are they going to beat each other up and have two losses by the end of the year? And what I hope is that the committee is going to pay attention to how how tough the Pac-12 is. In much the same way that in many years you do that with the SEC. And I don't think the SEC is as good top to bottom as it is in some years. I think we saw that in the non-conference. Um, but the hype machine sort of will get cranked up. And it's not an intentional hype machine so much as it is the passion of the fans helps pump the, <clears throat> the hype up in the SEC. Yep. My hope is that, let's say the Oregon-Washington winner from this week, probably Washington, is that fourth team. Not necessarily seeded fourth, but that fourth team in the playoff. That's my hope. Um, I think we're looking at, um, you know, and the the other piece of that is the Pac-12 is going away and they're finally relevant. Uh, And I hate that. 
But so I'm thinking Georgia, Michigan. I probably will. I'm going to make everybody back in Oklahoma mad. I probably still think Texas, but 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 if it's Oklahoma, great. Uh, they played really really well. And then I'm going to say Washington, which also also makes all the people that I know in Oregon mad. But you asked for four teams, um, and and it's really dumb of me to pick Texas given the results of last Saturday. I do think this, if they meet again in, in uh, Arlington, Texas for the Big 12 championship game, which is what it seems like is likely yeah. to happen, I think Texas is a favorite again. Doesn't mean they're better, but I think they're a favorite again. I do think we learned a lot about Oklahoma. So you, you asked a short question, and I went all the way through, and I should have just said Georgia, Michigan, you know, but I didn't. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's so a I podcast. Got on, I got on mine, Georgia, unless Bama can somehow – get through unscathed and beat them. I don't think Bama's going to. Bama's probably right. got another loss in the regular season, I'm thinking. Right. you got to run the table and then upset yeah. Georgia. Yeah. And and they could upset Georgia, I, I think. I think it's unlikely. But but running the table is not as easy as it, you think it is I, at this I, point. Yeah. I mean, Tennessee's going to pose a problem. LSU will still be tough. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we should beat Arkansas pretty easily this weekend. Kentucky's not going to be an easy. We play at Kentucky. And so that that's not a gimme game. Uh, Michigan, I think, wins the – Ohio State has just not looked that great to me. Agreed. Uh, OU Texas, um, I, I kind of lean Texas as well. And then the Oregon-Washington winner. But I still think Bama, Ohio State, Penn State, Texas, Florida State have outside shots uh, to get in. And I say about Florida State, that they're undefeated, but they've had some close calls. Well, here's the thing about that. Um, in, including Alabama, although I still think they're one-dimensional, but uh, but they're yeah. morphing. And if you if you guys had listened to the podcast, you see I was like not like all out on Alabama after the loss. I was like, look, or yeah. even after the South Florida game, it's like at some point these teams grow, and I've seen this Nick Saban teams grow. Yeah, but all of those all of those schools we mentioned, and probably, uh, and you know what? Um, I am so stupid that I left Florida State out um, in this, and so I don't know. I've got to go back and 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 reconfigure um, because Florida State probably has a better shot to get in easiest uh, than than those Pac-12 schools that we talked about. So I, let me kick out the Pac-12 schools. I'm sorry, and and put Florida State in. But all of those schools that we've been talking about, go back to what I said at the very beginning. It feels like this is a year unless Georgia really develops into, you know, unless it does what it did Saturday the rest of the way. And I don't see that yet. Um, all of those schools look like they could win the thing. And I, we haven't been able to say that for the life of the playoff. We haven't been able to say that. And right. to me, that's a, that's a reflection of NIL and the transfer portal really is because the talent has gotten distributed a little bit more. Um, anyway, I, I just wish we had a 12 team playoff and this would be a lot easier. Oh, it'd be a whole Instead, lot I left Florida state out and everybody's, and there's a whole lot of Seminoles who are mad at me. So <laughs> I put them in, I put them in. That's funny. Man, you talk about the back 12, like if I, if the Heisman was today, I think the top three Heisman candidates are Michael Penix Jr., Caleb Williams, and Bo Nix. And, and they won't even be the back 12 next year. Yeah. And you know, you know who should be right there is Drake May and he's not yeah. the North Carolina quarterback who should be right there. And could be if they keep winning and playing well as Dylan Gabriel. But you're right. Um, and especially, uh, we don't talk enough about Michael Penix Jr. He's good. That that kid can flat throw the football. He's not a thrower. He's a passer. Yeah. But And their offense reminds me a lot of the 2019 LSU offense. Now, they haven't played anybody yet. We're going to see them yep. now start to play people with Oregon coming to Seattle. But their offense seems 
like it could develop into that unstoppable type of thing. So the Oregon Washington game, two thirty, God's time, Central time, two thirty this Saturday. I'll be. I agree uh, with that. I'll be listening to that on the way back uh, for the Bama game. Hopefully, after we get a win. Hey, really quick, if for just people listening out there. If like you like fantasy football, but you can't commit to it, I just want to tell you about something that me and my friends do. We just started doing it this year. Um, there's four of us, and we each draft 10 college football teams. So we just go in order. We draft, and you get 20 points when they win. You lose 20 points. They get negative 20 when they lose. Uh, you get plus 15 if they shut somebody out, minus 15 if they get shut out. And then you get points if they go to the, a bowl game or the national championship or whatever. And you don't have to check it. You just draft, and somebody keeps the scores all year. Me and my buddies are having a blast. We did this with college football and NFL, and that's a lot of fun because when you're on your eighth, ninth, or tenth team, you're trying to choose teams like in these group of five that might do well and not lose a lot of games. So yeah. if you're ever looking for something fun to do, uh, email me, and I'll send you kind of the format for that. Be glad to send it. George, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, pleasure to talk with you again, George. I, I got to know George while we were both in Texas. Um, I hate that Matt Hansley couldn't be here, but he would have contributed nothing to this conversation. He would just want no, to No, it would have been terrible. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Uh, stupid Astros who are going again to the ALCS for the seventh year in a row. Uh, but thanks for joining us. Uh, check out Gridiron and the Gospel with George Schroeder and Brad Edwards. Uh, you can follow George on Twitter at George Schroeder. Um, thanks again, brother, for joining us uh, here on the Potluck. Man, I'm so glad to be able to do it. Thank you, guys. I, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a regular listener, so it's fun to finally get get the opportunity to be on. So, yeah, George, I appreciate you me. guys. He texted me. He said, "You mentioned Fuel City." I said, "I didn't even know the episode was uh, was uh, uh, posted yet." So that's that's incredible to me. Uh, so you didn't talk about the sign. The sign is the uh, best thing. I mean, uh, the tacos are tremendous, but the sign, you're on an elevated freeway yep. in, in Dallas-Fort Worth. And I know you're supposed to stop the podcast. I apologize. No, you're good. You're but just saying it. the sign is big block letters, Fuel City. And then underneath it, it's only slightly smaller big block letters. And so it's raised way up above the actual... Um, the actual uh, gas station because yep. um, it has to you know hit the hit the eye level of the of the cars on this raised expressway so fuel city in big 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 block letters and just slightly smaller tacos car wash and, and they're so and i'm like i'm gonna go get tacos and car wash hmm. but the, and i was like this is not something i would ever do but it's really good they're really it's good so good cash only if you go to the dallas location only go during the daytime uh, that time's not a good time to go to that one <laughs> Thanks for joining us, friends, at the Potluck. Join us next time, same Baptist time, same Baptist hour. Hope you had your fill and your full. Stay Baptist, my friends.